Hello, and welcome to the Vibrant Light Podcast, your home for uplifting faith-based commentary. My name is Alicia, and I'm your host. Today, I will be discussing how we talk about the environment and environmental issues, and what I think we need to do to help broaden the conversation to create real sustainable solutions that everybody can get on board with. I've been thinking about the environment, the natural environment, a lot lately, and how we talk about it, and how conversations about our natural environment have been politicized over the last decade or so. And I've even heard from fellow Catholics a lot of frustration about how Pope Francis has spoken about climate change, particularly in his encyclical from 2015 and calling him woke and liberal. And it concerns me that people get their hackles up so quickly regarding this issue, because when it comes to this topic, what we believe, what our politics are, who we vote for, doesn't matter. How we feel doesn't change whatever is tangibly happening. We can't believe or disbelieve the damage to our environment in or out of existence. Either it's happening or it's not. And I think it's unfortunate that the conversations surrounding protecting the planet and the responsible use of natural resources has been reduced to the debate about climate change and the topic of climate change because there is so much more that we should be thinking about and talking about when it comes to being good stewards of our environment. It also really puts the idea of climate change into this bucket or this like bubble, this separate category that it's this thing that we can separate ourselves from and if we just ignore it and pretend it's not happening, then we don't have to talk about it or any anything to do with the environment. Because anytime the conversation of environmental responsibility comes up, that's the, that's the area people immediately go to is that topic of ch- climate change. So if we just sort of put it in this separate category, we don't have to deal with it. We don't have to be responsible for our behavior. I don't like to get into debates with people about whether or not climate change is real or not, or whether or not it's being caused by humans or volcano eruptions, because I don't think it's a productive conversation and I don't think it leads to real sustainable solutions. It's sort of like debating with people about whether or not um, the the idea of somebody being trans is real. If, If somebody fundamentally believes one way or the other that something is true or not, debating that with them isn't going to move the conversation forward. I think it's better to just agree to disagree if I have a different opinion than somebody as to whether or not these types of controversial issues are real or not. Because whether or not climate change is real, we still have a responsibility as pro-life Catholics to be good stewards to our environment. We still should care and are affected by whether or not our air is clean and our water is clean and and just the beauty of our natural world, I think those are areas that we can all agree on whether or not, regardless of how we might feel about climate change. 
Also, when I think about the solutions that have been presented for dealing with climate change, a lot of those solutions are dependent upon electricity. Now, where I live, electricity comes from a variety of sources. A lot of them are sustainable, I guess you could say. Um, We have nuclear, hydro, um, but there is also a good element of fossil fuels still being used to generate electricity where I live, including coal. There's a coal power plant not too far from me. So there are still emissions associated, fossil fuel emissions associated with electricity. And beyond that, we also have to deal with the reality that the mining of rare earth minerals and the procurement of lithium and everything that goes into making the batteries that are required to store electricity have massive environmental impacts. But because the conversation gets so focused on climate change and climate change only, it seems that the people who are pushing these electric solutions don't seem to feel the need to address those other environmental impacts of this mining and these lithium fields and and just sort of see it as an acceptable trade-off. So the topic of environmental sustainability and responsibility is much broader and deeper than the conversation that's being pushed about electricity and fossil fuels and renewable energy because we as humans, we exist within the natural world. We like to pretend that we don't, but we do. So the environment is not something, it's not a problem to be solved. It's not something that's separate from us, you know, where where we can just fix one issue and not consider the butterfly effect of what that solution is going to mean for other areas of the environment. It's everything's connected. We we are a animal species that exists on this planet with other species, but we don't want to act like it or we we don't recognize that. And yes, of course, we as humans, we are created in the image of God. We do have souls. We are different than other animals, but we are still a species that is interdependent upon the biological webs of this planet. The earth is a gift to us from God, like our bodies. It's sacred and really the ultimate church. Everything we have that we hold sacred exists within the realm of the natural world. Everything, every pew, every drop of holy water, every baptismal font, every priest's robe came from the earth in its most basic form. Everything we have, everything we use, its origins lie in natural resources. So no matter how technologically advanced we make ourselves, no matter how sophisticated our cities get with smart technology, everything comes from the earth in its most basic form. And we forget that because we've become so disconnected from our origins as human beings that we're once more connected to the earth for our survival. We go to the grocery store, we go to shopping malls, we click on Amazon to get what we need, most of us. We, we, we're not toiling the way we were a few generations ago. And we seem to collectively have this attitude that we can get by without having to consider what's going on in the natural world. 
but we can't, you know. So as we move into a new political cycle and people are starting to talk about their candidacy, one thing I'm really focusing on and planning on doing, and I actually started doing this the last election cycle. Um, I live in New Hampshire, so we get a lot of door knockers. I, I don't know that everybody does, but it's definitely a thing where I live. So when I have pollsters and people taking surveys, seeking my opinion, I'm I'm going to really start pushing back when I'm asked questions about climate change or when climate change is a choice on a survey or if I have the opportunity to add comments at the end, which sometimes you can. Um, and if I have the opportunity to, I'm, I'm going to push back on these people to say, you know, we can't be hyper-focused on climate change when we talk about the environment. We need to talk about the earth and the environment much more holistically and recognize that for more conservative Republican-leaning voters that this is a pro-life issue. This isn't a left-wing issue. This is an everybody issue because regardless of how somebody feels politically, we all want to live in a clean, healthy earth. And when we look at chemical contamination and air pollution, you know, we just had this train derailment in Ohio where I live in New Hampshire, we have a lot of issues with PFAS in the water, which are uh, chemicals from flame retardants. So there's a lot to talk about besides climate change that we can bring to the table to start conversations with people who might not be willing or interested or concerned about climate change. There's no reason this should be a left-right issue because if you're somebody who lives in a rural community, if you like to grow your own food, if you hunt and fish, you want a clean planet. If you're somebody who lives in a city and you're raising children and you don't want them to have asthma because of air pollution, you want a clean planet. It just seems like something that should be such a common sense issue that it shouldn't be something we're arguing about. You know, this minutia of climate change, it's such a distraction. And yeah, it might take some sacrifice. And that's a hard conversation to have with people sometimes because there might be extra costs. We might need to consider our consumer behavior and how we ship trinkets and goods all over the world and are these things that we really need could these things be produced locally maybe we'd have to pay a little more um do we need to have every little thing we desire delivered personally to our door by an amazon truck can we not go to a store where there was one truck being delivered to one location i think it's easy for people to point fingers at politicians and demand these big sweeping solutions and spending all kinds of money and you know, that's a lot of what this young girl, I think she's out of Sweden, Greta Thunberg, is known for, um, for whatever reason the media gives her a lot of attention and of her kind of pounding her fist and blaming the powers that be. And she's young, so I don't want to crit criticize her too much. Um, I think she probably has a lot of people influencing her behavior. But we don't see a lot of personal account accountability from environmental activists these days. We see a lot of grandstanding and finger pointing and 
it was interesting because I was listening to Bill Maher recently and he called himself out because he's been one who's really beaten the drum about people needing to get on board with more sustainable energy solutions. But then he admitted that he travels in a private jet. He doesn't fly commercial. So who is he to be pointing fingers at others? And he said he wasn't going to talk about it anymore. I would have liked to have heard him say that because he's so passionate, he's going to start flying commercial. He didn't do that, but at least he acknowledged that it's not appropriate for him to point his fingers at other people because that would be very hypocritical of him. The point being, it seems that collectively, that environmental activists, as we think of them politically, only seem to really be active in ways that are convenient for them. And I'm speaking very broadly. I'm sure there's tons of exceptions and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of painting a broad brush here as far as what we think of when, when we hear activists and politicians talking about the environment and what the solutions are. Um, but I, I do think it's probably a very, very small percentage of people who are actually making significant adjustments in their own lives as opposed to just pointing at others to create big, complex solutions. And one area where we see this is the current housing crisis that we have in this country. And a lot of that is rooted in zoning laws that mandate big houses, big properties. And there's really no reason for that other than elitism. If somebody really cares about the environment, if we really care about people reducing their carbon footprint, we should be incentivizing smaller homes. There are plenty of people who are happy and willing to downsize, who want to downsize, who are eager to downsize, but are unable to do so because zoning laws prevent it. So does it really make sense to be incentivizing solar panels that require all of this abusive mining of rare earth minerals? when somebody could potentially gain the same energy savings from just having a smaller home. And I'm speculating that a bit here, but um, a lot of these issues are rooted in money. You know, when, when the solutions don't really make sense to fix the problem or they don't really fix the problem, I tend to follow the money um, because there's usually a financial incentive and, you know, in, in that in this case, solar electric systems on a nice 2,500, 3,000 square foot house, it's tens of thousands of dollars. It's a big expense to do that kind of project. For somebody to just build a small economical fuel efficient home isn't as financially lucrative. So there's no political will to incentivize that. Couple that with the fact that People in affluent areas, based on their own comments to the media and at town meetings, tend to stick their noses up when there's talk of apartment buildings or changing and zoning to allow smaller, more consolidated housing. And it's usually shrouded in, in that they don't want to hurt, hurt the, ruin the character of their town. Well, what does that mean exactly? You don't want low to middle income people in in your town. You want to be able to drive through your neighborhood and just see sprawling green lawns and 
big, beautiful houses. And, you know, I'm, I'm being a little snarky here and maybe a little judgmental, but it's frustrating because there's just so much hypocrisy on this topic and what people are willing to do versus what they would prefer to ask others to do because it has become so focused on climate change that it seems like people feel like they can just check a box and get their solar panels and their hybrid or electric car and pat themselves on the back and they've done they've done their due diligence and they can go on doing you know not worrying about anything else but the issue is so much broader and I don't want to say the issue because it it makes it sound like this separate thing, but the concept of being environmentally responsible and being a good steward of the earth is so much more broader and more complex than something we buy. We have to really look at how we're living our lives and, and philosophically how we see ourselves in connection with the natural world which we are all a part of whether we acknowledge it or not we have to think about how we're consuming goods how we're growing our food and recognize that when we consider electric solutions recognize that those electric-based solutions are only obtained through the exploitation of others in impoverished countries so is that an appropriate trade-off? Is is that is that what we're going to accept as as end game? There's a book that came out recently. I haven't read it yet. It's on the top of my list. Um, it's called Cobalt Red, and it's by Siddhartha Kara, K A R A. He was, I heard him interviewed on the Joe Rogan show recently, and he talked about uh, his research for the book in quite a bit of detail. And even just listening to that interview, even without having read read his book, um, we, I don't think that this battery sol- electric solution is something that we can accept as as the the ultimate solution, because as we're moving towards even already this electric battery driven economy with all of our devices, that to obtain that type of technology this so-called sustainable technology it's being done off the backs of these poor people oftentimes children and these are poisons that they're being exposed to and you know we're congratulating ourselves over implementing this so when I think about the environment and the natural world. I I do feel like, at least for myself, I need to start pushing back on this narrative and how we're talking about environmental stewardship and what makes sense for for addressing how we use energy and trying to shift the conversation away. From climate change and try to encourage and facilitate a more holistic view of what it means to care about the environment and why it's important and how it's not this separate political issue that we can compartmentalize and separate ourselves from. That, you know, when a train crashes in Ohio and spills all these toxic chemicals, 
and that it's not, it doesn't only affect the people in Ohio. When you have that kind of chemical dump go into the earth, go into the soil, it can go into the water table, it flows down rivers, it can get to other states. And then beyond that, what were those chemicals for? Where were they going? What are they being used for? What products are they being used used in? Are these products that we really need? You know, when we think about the the chemicals we use on a daily basis in our own homes, cosmetics, beauty products, shampoos, detergents, you know, all these scent boosters now that they sell for your laundry. Like, I don't I don't know what those chemicals were used for, you know, yard chemicals. Like, there's so many chemicals that we use and what, you know, why... Do we need them? You know, did did that train even need to be there running, you know, running that product? It's it's really about looking at ourselves and and how we live. And if we can do that and we can shift this narrative a little bit where everybody feels like they have a stake in it and we can create a path toward more sustainable solutions that are achievable and realistic and not purely motivated by a capitalistic profit motive, which seems to be what's really driving the solutions being made available right now. Because there's there's not really a lot of political will that I'm seeing to encourage people to maybe drive a fuel-efficient four-cylinder vehicle instead of a V8 truck, or buy a smaller home and build smaller homes, you know, buy smaller refrigerators, convert a manicured green lawn to a pollinator garden. And there's a lot of things we can do beyond this so-called green energy to support our natural world. And it would be great if those things were incentivized, but even if they're not, those are things we all can do if we really want to put our money where our mouth is. Because simply just going down this electric road is mostly feel-good politics. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Light Podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this issue, whether you agree with me or not. You can email me at vibrantlightpodcast at outlook.com. Mm-hmm.